Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Amy. Our project is called Mind, Body, and Soul, The Nature of Well-Being, and this podcast is just one small piece of the overall project. We are making a documentary that follows our hike on the Continental Divide Trail that will explore how spending time in nature affects a person's mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. We are guinea pigs in a sense because we will be documenting our own experiences and recording changes that we find. Along the way, we are interviewing people about their experiences in nature to see how they have been affected. Much of the benefits that come from being in nature are subjective and therefore hard to measure in a quantifiable way. That's why we have turned to recording stories as a way to distribute this knowledge. Since the beginning of human culture, we have compressed valuable information into stories, and that's how we have shared wisdom throughout the generations. We hope that the stories we gathered during this project will help spread some of the wisdom that can be found in the wilderness. Episode 4, an interview with Dale Painter about Christianity and nature. Dale reached out to Alex after watching his movie Figure It Out on the Haydu Trail. Dale liked the movie, but he thought something was missing. Alex never discussed the spiritual aspects of being in nature. Alex agreed, but he admitted that he didn't know how to talk about that stuff since he didn't have much experience with religion or spirituality. They had a good conversation about spirituality and nature, and Dale is a part of the inspiration for the soul aspect of the Mind, Body, and Soul project. My name is Dale Painter, and I live here in Nuego. And uh, this is kind of about an hour north of Grand Rapids, kind of where the national forests start in uh, Michigan, the Manistee National Forest. So the Muskegon River runs through our town, and we're kind of out on a side creek, Brooks Creek Ravine, and um, kind of a neat place just to come and hang out. So. so have you been interested in being in nature your whole life, or is this something that you kind of discovered later? No, um, well, we grew up in West Michigan here, my family did and pretty much an outdoors family, a lot of canoeing, a lot of hiking, kind of day hikes, a lot of camping. Um, and uh, so really we kind of grew up in, you know, being like, liking to be outside in nature. And then my, when I married my wife, uh, we just continued that. And uh, so we just did a lot of just, and when our kids started growing up, we, um, you know, took them on a lot of hikes and just around Michigan. We didn't start backpacking until our daughter was seven and our son was 12, uh, and uh, Heather and, and Matt. Uh, and we decided we wanted to, we took off for a summer and went west. Um, and we decided so we're going to do that, we might as well do some backpacking as well, because we'd always wanted to do that, but we'd never had done any. So with the two kids, we backpacked into the Grand Canyon, it was our first, our first backpack. And then we Yosemite and Olympic and up in the up in the North Cascades, and that just hooked us. And then for then as long as the kids were still at home, uh, every summer we would head out west and kind of kind of. Uh, uh, and it was interesting because the kids were enough far apart. I mean Heather was adopted and um, was very hyperactive child and a very a lot of ups and downs and mood swings and, and our son was just kind of even keeled like this. So they really had so little in common uh, when we're here. But when we got into the backcountry and we went backpacking, there were, <clears throat> there were no other distractions. And so suddenly those kids then had to work together and they had to find ways to keep themselves entertained. And um, so it became that all through those high school years, that was their bonding time. Um, and it was a time when they really, we all could be together as a family and and we could just be out there and 
Heather kind of evened out and Matt kind of came down and, and it was just like, um, so that was always very special. But, uh, so we did that all through their high school growing up years. Uh, Wind River Range was our favorite place to go back to. It seemed like we went, kept going back there and you could do those loop trails and uh, spend four or five or six days out. Not Didn't hike real far every day, but you're just being out there. So that was kind of our taste of it. Um, and then when the kids got out of the house, um, Kathy and I decided we really wanted to do a little bit more extensive backpacking. So we decided we, st we started working on the Pacific Crest Trail. And so we started up at, uh, at the Manning Park in, the, in Canada, back when you could go across the border, um, across the border into the States. Uh, and we just started for really for the next probably 10 years, we just spent um, our summer vacations out knocking off another section of the PCT. And so that uh, we, I think the longest section we did together at one time, we hiked across Oregon together, which was really awesome. And then Kathy ended up doing about probably two thirds of the trail. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, so that's, that's how kind of we got into, you know, doing it together. And then after she's now kind of feels less able to get out there and do that kind of thing, um, she's supported me on some of my, as I've done more individual solo kinds of uh, through hikes. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of our, you know, how we kind of got into that backpacking and just have just always loved it. Just uh, the simplicity, um, working together, uh, kind of with, when Kathy and I started doing these long, or, you know, a couple hundred miles on the PCT, the planning, you know, and working together and uh, kind of accommodate. You only go as fast as your weakest link, you know, and so it really slowed me down and, and brought Kathy so we could really kind of mesh and work together. Um, and that's always been a very, very special part of life. So nature is really has been, um, has, has been part of our experience um, and a very natural experience uh, that we just have, you know, just become part of what our, kind of our lifestyle, at least uh, that part of it. And when, when we're out in the backcountry, so yeah. And being in Michigan, there's lots of tra North Country trails here. And, you know, Kathy and I hiked across the Upper Peninsula uh, on the North Country Trail. Um, and I've done all of Michigan on the North Country Trail, but um, yeah, so we just are very fortunate and blessed to be in kind of a place where, we, and we had a kind of jobs that we could actually get away for periods of time. Uh, so we just have had an ideal kind of situation to do that. And so, uh, Before I forget, could you just kind of list off the other hikes that you've done, Grand Enchantment oh. and all that? Oh yeah. So. Um, yeah, so I think the PCT was our, our really our first longer, long distance. And so I've done, uh, uh, so Kathy and I had hiked that, sectioned hiked it all the time. I'd done the section from, uh, from Campo to the high Sierras, the 700 mile section there by myself. She didn't want to do the desert stuff. So I did that. So I'd hiked pretty much section hiked the whole PCT. And then uh, two years ago, three years ago, it's not th 2017, uh, I, I through hiked the whole trail at the PCT. Um, North Country Trail here in Michigan, um, some up in Minnesota on the North Shore, um, little bit, bits and pieces on the, the Continental Divide Trail um, through the, especially Southern Colorado, the uh, San Juans, uh, Wimanooch Range, um, um, you know, and then just the other backpacks just kind of, you know, oh, Grand Enchantment Trail was after I got off the PCT, I really was a lot of so many people on the PCT um, that it, I just really wanted to have a little more wilderness kind of experience with a little more challenging. So the Grand Enchantment Trail goes from Phoenix to Albuquerque and part on trails, part on uh, off country, off trail, 
um, can up some canyons and uh, just some really awesome kinds of experiences. So I did about 500 of that, 700 miles of that trail. Got myself in some trouble. Um, got a good taste of humble pie and uh, got lost pretty good. And um, anyway, that was a whole other set of experiences too. So Grand Enchantment, and then uh, and then last summer. Um, I decided I just hiked the whole all of the 1,100 miles of uh, the North Country Trail in Michigan, the length of Michigan. So that was that's special. Cool. Um, it's interesting that spending time in nature was kind of a good way for your kids to get to know each other and kind of brought them down on the same level. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think about nature allowed them to? do that being so different personalities well that's part part of it is it, it, it just brought a level level playing field you know Matt was a very very high achievement um, very athletic very sports-minded uh, Heather was not so much um, so they so when you got into the backcountry you know uh, there's a it levels the playing field um, and it put us all on the same you can only go as far as as, as your weakest link like I said and uh, and Heather sometimes could be the weak link, but Matt had a way of being able to kind of engage her. And once they get going, they would they'd be way out in front of us. Or, you, or uh, it just enabled them to really uh, the simplicity of it all. Uh, no friends uh, out there to compete with. Um, you know, if you're going to have a good time, you had to figure out a way to to uh, to interact and to be um, respect each other and. We always involve the kids in our decision making on the trail, and so um, they were part of that. And I think all that kind of thing just works together. The challenges, um, uh, the discomfort, you know, the unexpected, the the the, the, the unexpected rain, rainstorm, thunderstorm, or or whatever, you know, um, the whole thing. It just really, it, it's uh, it's just a, it's just an invigorating place to be. Um, and I think the, the kids loved it. I think it's, it's and the bond. I think they just they bonded in a way out there that they just didn't do it back in when they got back hit back Michigan here, and they all both go their separate directions. And um, and uh, so that was that, that really was was I think. Yeah, you don't have the ability to go different directions out there. <laughs> you got to be going to the same direction, you know. And and so they played cards together, and they would take a frisbee along, and they would play these games where they would run up ahead and hide someplace, and then try to ambush us as we came by, and you know. So um, it became a big game, um, a lot of ways, and an adventure. Um, yeah. So. Have you seen? Um how has that affected their lives kind of growing up and as they become adults and everything? I think it built self-confidence, no, no doubt. And it's, it's just those family, it's kind of that family tradition, of the, you know, the things that we can always look back on, that they had that together. Heather, uh, Matt has continued to be an outdoors person, but he's, his, he and his family have gotten into backcountry canoeing. So up in the Boundary Waters and, um, and up in Canada, and, and they become real canoeists. So their family has built in a similar kind of way, only in backcountry canoeing. Heather, not so much. She married a guy who's a hunter and a fisherman, but uh, Heather can be uh, a couch potato. But boy, she ever she always she always thinks back about, boy, yeah, we could go out and do that, and what a great time we had doing this, and what about that experience. So I think that's still part of her her roots, I think, and I think has helped grounded her in something that, and confidence level that she knows she can do that kind of stuff um, and enjoy it. Um, even though she doesn't do it too much now with three kids and their busy lifestyle, but um, yeah, so it's been, been um, so it's still been a part of their their lives, I think. Yeah. Okay. 
I know for me it's been a huge confidence booster like after doing the P PMT that was kind of I felt like I could take myself seriously after doing that trail right like I, I didn't really know what I wanted in life I didn't know what I was capable of before yep. the trail mm -hmm. and then after that I'm like yeah I kind of know what I'm doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it just is uh, some of the problem solving skills out that you, that you learn out there how to work together um, knowing that you have to all get through it together um, just can't one person can't succeed um, all of you have to succeed uh, together and I think that's and, and, and Heather had a struggle in school and a special ed student and that sort of thing so that really became important and it gave her some status with her students other fellow students too because they said you you did that or what'd you mean and then she'd show the pictures and I mean so yeah it was special so yeah yeah so you've sounds like you've had quite a bit of experience being in nature with groups of people and by yourself but could you talk about the pros and cons of each one? Um, yeah, I'll just, yeah. With the kids, you um, could go hike maybe five, six, seven, eight miles and make a camp and be happy with that, you know. Um, as when Kathy and I, so the limitations are how far you can go, maybe what you can risk doing, uh, just in terms of safety issues, and we know that you'd be in that. Although we did some pretty. Yeah, I, yeah, some pretty things are a little off the wall, but um, yeah, so there's that benefit. And when, and when you hike as a couple, as a married couple, um, that's when I think that, um, that's when it really builds, I think that's build our, build our marriage. Um, again, working together and planning together and uh, overcoming the discomfort, the uncomfortable times, uh, dealing with when one of you have an injury. Uh, have to go off the trail, which means that the hike's over for both of us. Um, and I think just that com you know, companionship, um, again, you're out there just by yourselves, and I think you were, you communicated a different level than when you do back home in the, the day-in, day-out, work-a-day world kind of thing. Um, something we always look forward to, we plan, so you plan during the whole year. So, so that's the benefit, I think, of a, of a couple, the relationship building and the, the bonding and the and uh, and the pro and, and, and the feelings of accomplishment when you did it um, together, and uh, again the downside is as I've done solo hiking is uh, that when you're solo I I don't have to depend on anybody else. Um, I, I, you can go as many miles as you want to go. Um, you uh, you kind of are just by yourself. So there's a solitude uh, that um, that I I really love when I'm just as a solo backpacker. But again, there's things you miss too because you can't share it with anybody, you know, until you get done with that section. And Kathy supported me in some of those hikes um, uh, as my kind of uh, uh, meet me at a trail stop and resupply me and that kind of stuff. Uh, and so that's that's special too. So, um, but I think it's a sol solitary. It's it's. I, and again, I, I really just I like being by myself out there. Uh, and so that's one of the benefits. And um, it's. Um, I don't sometimes don't like being gone from her that long, uh, but she fully supports me in those things. So I think it is, and, uh, and I think for both of us, and I guess our family, maybe not so much our family. Uh, I guess we did do it some, but I guess just that whole this whole spiritual dimension of uh, of our relationship. Um, you know, I guess when we look at nature, um, you know, it's just not the physical world. It's uh, it's creation, and being out in God's creation. Um, is um, is just an inspiring kind of thing for us. I think that um, 
when we're out, it's like uh, you're in a spot like this, and um, you, you, you can kind of lose yourself to the world. Um, it's just, uh, you just really appreciate it. It's almost like, you know, just being in, 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 a, in a holy temple. Um, and I, I think all of us have experienced that. You kind of walk at the end of the day into a deep forest or, a, or whatever, and the, the, the sunlight's filtering through, and it's dead quiet, and uh, you, it's, it's like a temple. It's like it's a, it's a sacred place, and it's um, it's just uh, it's just a moving kind of experience uh, spiritually. Um, and I get on a person of faith, so I know that that's God's creation, and that He's created this place, and He's brought me here for you know for a special place, and and it just kind of takes your breath away. Um, and it doesn't have to be a spectacular mountain sunset or an overlook or whatever. Sometimes it's just those simple kind of things when you realize the grandeur of creation and uh, what it means to be in it. Um, and you, you just feel like you want to worship and you give him praise. You, know, you see creation, you don't worship creation. You work, you know, for me anyway, it's, it's worshiping the creator and realizing how insignificant I am and how powerful he is and how complex his workings are to work through nature and the laws of nature and, and um, to, it's always changing. Um, and it's just a very, um, it's a sacred kind of experience. And Kathy and I experience that together, but I really feel it uh, when I'm by myself out there because uh, it's a place that I feel that I can go and um, uh, to commune with him, uh, to actually be away from any distractions um, of regular life, um, uh, feel like I'm being led, uh, feel his presence. Um, and it's just, um, it's, uh, so that's, that has become a whole special dimension, I think, that makes uh, the backcountry and backpacking especially um, uh, very valuable. And it's something that's just really a core part of my life anyway. And uh, it's been um, it's something I always want. It's, it's things I can't experience in church. Um, although that's, you know, you, you, that's also God's temple. Um, but it's different. Um, it's, uh, it's, but I, I, I experience things in the backcountry spiritually that I can never experience in richness and the depth and, the, and that, uh, that, I, that I can't in many other ways. Uh, and um, it's hard to explain that to people. It's, uh, it's hard to explain that to my fellow Christians when I come back. Um, it's just something that, um, it's just, it's very, it, it's a spiritual realm. So it's a sense of feel and the, the power of all that. Um, the grandeur, the simplicity. Um, you know, and I guess it, um, you know, you just feel like that that's, uh, uh, it's very special times. Um, and it's, it's things like that's, uh, um, again, uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's lots, lots of ways I can go with that, Alex. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really humbling, you know, and it, it just that, um, that no, it's, uh, and I guess I think, you know, um, and I'm a believer in Jesus, and you know, I realize that, you know, the Bible is so rich with the metaphors of the outdoors and nature, and because the people who wrote the Bible and who lived it, Christ's days, they were in nature all the time. So the rocks and the, and the pathways, the, the metaphors about the path and the trail and, the, and um, all that sort of thing um, are so rich. And if you're not out in nature, you, you're lo you've lost the power of those metaphors and those lessons. And, um, 
And so I think it's, uh, um, it, so when I go out and I, you know, I think about scripture, I usually I take a verse or something along and I will meditate it with it and, and walk with it all day. And when you're hiking 12, 13, 14 hours a day, you know, you, you, know, you kind of put those things in your mind and, and new insights come. Um, and new uh, revelations, a new uh, understanding uh, that um, are just um, are really important, I guess, to me, just to my spiritual growth. So, um, yeah, so the outdoors is a, is a pretty special place for that. You know, so, yeah. I was wondering if that's something that can be explained to somebody. Um, you, you kind of answered that a little bit. Or is it something that needs to be experienced to be understood? Yeah, I think I think it has to be. I think it has to be experienced. Um, you know, I just. Um, I think people can, even you know, over the years, I think I've had a head knowledge of some of that, um, and yet spirituality is much more than just a head trip or a, or a logical argument or a convincing somebody that this is the way it should be. Um, much of that has to be, you have to do it. You have to get out there and do it. Um, you have to get out there and, and take the risks. Um, and, and, and be willing to look maybe beyond, you know, that being a rock or that being a waterfall or that being a grand forest, but realizing that there's so much more to that. There's so much more meaning that's behind that because it's God. It's, a, it's our creator who's done that. And yeah, it's hard to explain that to me. And I, I never understood it, I don't think. And I think as years have gone by, I start to understand it more and I start expecting it more. Uh, when I go out, so then it doesn't a surprise anymore, and I start to try to find ways to enrich that experience um, as I'm hiking, um, as I'm out there. Um, um, Kathy and I always, um, uh, well, we started it when we started backpacking together. Kids never had the patience for it, so um, but you do things when you're a couple. But we'd start every morning with a song. And um, we would, before we would break camp and we were going to have a, a kind of day ahead of us, um, we saw a, a song that reminds us of where we are. And as I've solo hiked, I, I've continued doing that. And, um, and it's a way of almost setting that as right the first thing before you even step foot on the trail of setting that tone that this is a spiritual walk that we're doing. It's a pilgrimage, I guess. Uh, it's, a, it's something special. And, those songs have kind of resonate with um, putting us into that touch with what this is all about and making our spiritual life relevant to the trail as well. And you know, um, and I'm not. I, it's hard. To, how do you even do that? I, it's maybe I'll do it this way. You know, for example, when when we get up in the morning and we, if I'm in a, in a place that is a particularly awesome place to be, uh, the song that we would sing would be something like. Um, if you want, if you want me to sing, uh, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can feel the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on my face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and um, it just it sets the tone. It sets the tone. It's a prayer. Um, the other thing that Kathy and I always do is, uh, is that if we're facing, if we're getting up in the morning and that song in the morning, if we know we're going to have a, if it's raining, or if it's going to be a crummy day, if it's uh, going to be a tough day, um, we remind ourselves by singing a song. It's a little phrase that goes like, um, um, 
This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. And it's a way of just saying, whatever happens today, He's created it. And we need to fit into it. You know, we don't fight it. We appreciate it. It's a gift. It's a gift. And sometimes those, those tough days, as you know, sometimes those tough days where you think you're not going to get through, sometimes be the most blessed times you have on the trail. And um, so a song like that just kind of reminds us that this is what it's all about, you know, and this is a special day. And, you know, you, you've, you've had it too, I'm sure. Um, someone will ask you, well, well, what's your favorite part? What, what, what's been your favorite part on this hike? Or what's been a favorite part of, of the PCT if you've hiked so far? And, and you just want to say right now, <laughs> every moment has its times. It doesn't have to be that panorama or that, you know, that sort of thing. Every moment is because it's just such a gift to be out here. And uh, you know how that goes. <laughs> it's, uh, That's and, a hard uh, question to answer. Yeah, it really is. Moments and there's so many reasons to enjoy a moment too. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that, that big, beautiful vista that people are always picturing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and uh, but that's um, but anyway. So sometimes we kind of actually have found that if we set our minds right from the minute we step on the trail, that somehow that um, that it just sets the tone for that ex for an experience uh, more than just the physical challenge. Um, or the emotional challenges and the ups and downs, but that there's uh, some spiritual blessings that can come out of that too. So, you know, hard to explain. It's yeah. hard to explain. That's, that's kind of a, a theme that I'm running into here as I'm talking to people, especially when they're trying to talk about this soul or spiritual aspect of the mm -hmm. movie, is that everybody has a feeling of what it is and almost nobody can really say what it is. That's exactly right. <laughs> it, it is. And, and I just would say, just don't turn your mind off for that dimension. I, I, I see some, and I think my, maybe my first contact with you was when I, wa I watched you on the Hayduke Trail, and you were interviewing a variety of people, and they were, you know, short interviews and things. But, you know, the thing I just said is that, um, what about the spiritual dimension? And I think your comment was, yeah, how do you put that in words, you know? And, and, and sometimes it's a very embarrassing even to ask the question. Are you you're just going to be considered, oh, you're one of those kind, you know? You know, you're, woo, you know? <laughs> or, or you're going to proselytize to me, or you're going to try to save me, or whatever. Um, and I think that that's, uh, so sometimes we're even afraid to ask the question or even talk in those ways. Because, yeah, and you said, sometimes you don't have the words for that. And I think that's very true. I think it's very true. And... Uh, and yes, you know, I guess God surprises us. He meets us in, in ways, in times where we're not expecting it at all. And um, so sometimes, rather than just kind of discounting it and shoving it off and say, oh boy, I don't want to go there, um, sometimes you just let yourself go and experience it. You know, and, uh, it's just, it's, it, yeah, it's, and it's hard to, again, it's hard to explain to anybody when you come back. Say, well, how was your hike? Oh, it was great. Well, how far did you go? Oh, I went those many miles. Well, what did you see? What was your favorite part? But they know when you start saying, well, there's, how did this start changing me? You know? And it's like, oh, okay, that's good. That's nice. <laughs> so, it's like, how are you? You know, well, you probably don't really want to know. But 
There's some, that's not true of everybody. Everybody, some people really do have an appreciation for that. And um, yeah, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went through that experience after coming back from the PNT. Like, that was all I wanted to talk about. It, it occupied every single thought of right. my mind. And my friends thought it was cool and interesting and stuff, but those conversations got boring pretty quickly. Right. Just because, like, I, I couldn't, couldn't convey to them what the experience was like. Right. It is. It was, it was so much more than what I could put into words. Right. And I think that's a big part of the reason, and especially you reaching out to me and kind of putting that idea of soul into my head. That's a big part of the reason why I'm trying to include that in this movie. Good. And I want to talk to all different kinds of people about what their mm -hmm. idea of soul is. Exactly. And maybe by getting a whole bunch of different ideas, maybe we can arrive at some sort of, I don't know, similar conclusion about mm -hmm. what people feel when they're out here. That's right. And maybe I can show it more than explain it in words. Well, I think it is, especially when you have the visual images of actually here, you know, and uh, yeah. So what do you think the, like, general American society, what do you think their view of the soul is? What do they think that is? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> you, you just kind of take me back there. Um, I, I mean, I know I have my feeling of what it is, but... Um, um, I think I think most people. Well, I I guess I'd say Alex. I think most people are seeking it. The spiritual dimension. Is this all there is in life? Is my how good I look and what kind of shape I am and what how my body is and if I get sick and and I work a job. And I, I think most people are 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 craving something deeper in life, and they know there's something deeper in life. Um, and um, and is that the soul? Maybe that's the soul. That's something deeper inside of us. That, and is this all there is to life? Uh, is there something more beyond? Is there something? Uh, um, so I think most people have a craving for that. Uh, I think people are seeking it. I think people are drawn to the backcountry, seeking that. Many people out there, I think, are seeking something. Um, maybe they don't know what it is. Sometimes they don't know when they find it. Um, Sometimes you think, well, if I get to the end of the trail, that, um, man, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to kind of, you know, it's like going up on the mountain and meeting the guru, and he's going to give me, the, I'll have the answers to life. And yet, as you get to the end of the trail, you realize the trail keeps going. And you take some things that you've learned on the trail, spiritually and physically and emotionally and self-esteem-wise, you take parts of that on the trail, and then as you are working the other pathways of life, whether it's, you know, you start applying those things. Um, and so I guess the answer to the question, yeah, I think, I think most people are, I don't know they would be able to define what that is, but I think there's a craving there. And, um, and sometimes I think people get, uh, have a stereotype of what some answers are, the, kind of the pat answers, whether, and I'm talking spiritually as a Christian, you know, um, you know, the, you know, the Bible thumping kind of in your face, kind of, you know, hell and damnation, fire and enemy, all that sort of thing. And they don't want any part of that. And so sometimes what they do is, I think they turn off the entire message because based on what they're afraid of or their stereotype of what this person's gonna do or what their attitude is towards uh, what they're gonna try to do to me and, I'm gonna f and I've seen all those hypocrites and I know what they are. And it, that has nothing to do with your faith, you know? And uh, that has to do with our own way that all of us kind of warp things, um, our sinfulness, I suppose, if you use religious terms but um, there's a part of us that we got to come to grips with some of that and 
but the sometimes, uh, so sometimes we get turned off by those kinds of things people do, and so they don't want, and, and so they're afraid to look at those kinds of other answers, um, or the answers that, it, that seem to be so familiar, but I, I think very few understand what this Bible message and what this thing about God is all about, and, um, and I, I, so I don't, so what do American society think of that? Um, I think they're craving it. Um, I don't, and I think that uh, I just I think that everybody's got to find their own avenue. Some people find it in music, some people find it in art, some people find it in athletics, um, and those those things are. Some people find it in church, some people find it when they're out hunting someplace. Um, some of us find it in the backcountry. Um, there's lots of different avenues to finding that, um, but for me, the the most dramatic way has been in nature. And so is, is the backcountry the only place to find it? No, uh-uh. Is, is, it, is the backcountry, do I encourage everybody to get out in the backcountry to experience it? No, because I know some people, um, um, it'll backfire. Um, it'll, um, it, that they, they can't, there's too many barriers for them, but they'll find it some other avenue. And I can just share what it means for me, and if it appeals to somebody else, to definitely come along, you know, or try it. You know, just get out there and try it. You don't have to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, or you don't have the North Country Trail. Go out and hike, uh, you know, uh, five miles someplace. Um, do an overnight. Um, get out there and just feel it and experience it and just see what happens and see if it's, if it's something that you're feeling led to have more of. And I, I think it's a leading thing. Uh, Alex, I just, I think we are led in different ways, and um, the Spirit leads me in some ways that are very powerful. Um, and but it always hasn't been, it hasn't always been that way, and it hasn't always been in hiking. You know, there's been other avenues too. So, so yeah, I think um, so. It's not for everybody. Um, I would, and I'm, th I'm thankful it's not because the backcountry would be overrun, right? <laughs> it's like there's some things you just want to say. Uh, you know, I don't want to tell you about my favorite place because I don't we'll see it overrun with people, you know. It's so funny, when, when I, I first hiked, when I hiked from Mexico to the Sierras and the, and the um, uh, section hike um, back in 2005, I guess it was, um, and I started in the spring, there were hardly any people on the trail. And then when I returned to Campo to start through hike uh, three years ago, two years ago, you had to have a permit in order to start. There were 50 people starting a day. 50 people today, 50 people tomorrow, 50. And of course, they're all, and it was like a through, that, 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 that Southern California section was, a, was, a, was a, a freeway. And what a contrast to, what was it, 15 years before, 17 years before, when you'd go a couple of days, several days, especially in Southern California, and never see anybody. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I'm glad everybody's not, you know, everybody can't be out there. Um, so I don't know where that balance is either, um, because that's kind of, that's also pretty selfish of me to say, no, I, I don't want to have anybody else on my favorite spots, you know. Um, that's meant to be shared. It's not mine anyway, you know. It's, you know, it's, it's somebody bigger than me, you know. Um, yeah, I've kind of wrestled with that too. Like, do I want everybody out there or not? Because I, I kind of see pros and cons to either way. Right. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of all the PCT hikers that were starting two years ago? Like, did you think they were out there for the right reasons, or what were they looking for? That's the, that. Uh, no, they probably weren't. 
but that's my judgmental thing. Um, no, I think everybody's off for different reasons. Um, and always have been. Um, and um, and I, it's amazing how um, how many people, and you can see the people right away that are going to go, who are going to, within, within the first 100 miles, how many drop out. I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but. Um, do you know some about those statistics, like how many people do drop out? I don't. I really don't. I don't. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's become, and I think it's probably a, a lot, and I think since the movie, or the book Wild, you know, uh, I think people said, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And you have all kinds of people going out there that have absolutely no business being out there. And, and so then you get a little bit judgmental about some of those folks. And you gotta be, I got to remind myself to be careful about that. Because I was a first-timer one time, too. And uh, I didn't know. I, I, I cringed. We have some pictures of when we took our kids into the winds uh, the first couple times, the packs we had were gargantuan, you know? I mean, and we're thinking, what an idiot, what, what an idiotic thing to do. Uh, so I think we get judgmental, but um, so uh, people are out there for all different reasons, and I bless their hearts, they're out there trying, uh, and they have a dream, and they want to think they want to do it. They're going to learn something from it, whether they drop out within the first day or a half, or if they get all the way to uh, Manning Park. Um, they're going to learn something from that. And so it's not a wasted effort. It's not a failure. Uh, um, so I think I gotta be very careful, we have to be very careful uh, to, you know, to, to not be critical of people who are out there maybe for the wrong reasons. Maybe I'm not even sure what the wrong reasons are. Um, as long as they learn from it and come away saying, I benefited from it. Maybe I'll never get on a trail again but maybe that steers them in a different direction of their lives where they can find fulfillment and a spiritual experience and find what they're looking for. Um, um, so if it does that, then that's just been part of their journey. Um, it's one of those steps and all our journeys are kind of different, you know, and... Um, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> thank, yeah, thank goodness, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, the life path would be too crowded if everybody is on the same path. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I, I believe very much that this idea of uh, that, that one of the, the gifts that God gives us is our free will. And we make choices. And he doesn't have just one way that he wants us to all follow his path. You know, he's, there's different paths uh, that, he's, that he leads us. And he doesn't lead me down the same path that the person I'm sitting in church with, uh, the same You've been there all year, it leads them down a different path. He has us kind of going in the same direction eventually, but sometimes we make, have to, he lets us make our own mistakes and our own failures and our own crazy things that we do. Uh, but he would be saying, listen to what I'm teaching you. Um, what are you learning from this? And how are you going to use this to, to move forward? And, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I guess mistakes are okay. The biggest problem is when you're not learning from them. Yeah. And you do see that out in the wilderness too sometimes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and all of us, you know, all of us could, all of us can, in fact, we like to talk about those things where you're yeah, saying, how funny. stupid could I have been to have done that, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, so we're all doing that, so. Have you ever gone out into nature with the intention of healing? healing some sort of trauma or problem that you're dealing with? 
Yeah, I, I've been I've been blessed in my life to not have had a lot of major losses, uh, a lot of not a not a lot of trauma, uh, not a lot of uh, difficult times. Um, uh, difficult times. Uh, all of us have difficult times living, but compare with many people so I've been very blessed about that but yeah I think there's times where um, and I can think of one of the times that when Kathy and I hiked across Oregon um, she had come off a, well I guess both of us come off the experience of, um, of, a, a, of a, um, a job situation that, that she was primarily Kathy uh, that was in it loved the job and did, did a wonderful job at it but a bunch of political things came up that she got uh, got uh, fired from that job, and not fired. That's not even the right word. She had to make a choice, but it was not a choice. Um, anyway, the long and the short of it, she had to leave that job. She couldn't continue on in the way that she was fulfilling, and that was very, very difficult for her and for us. And so, much of the time of our hike across Oregon was a healing time, and to get a new perspective. Um, to process it together, um, to lay awake in the tent that night. Uh, no, there's no phone going to ring. There's no, we're not going to be able to pick up a phone tomorrow and find out what more has happened in the job or they're going to offer. You know, we basically could come to grips with it together um, because there were no distractions out there. I mean, that's, and so we, um, and so we, the, the entire time we were across Oregon, the 500 miles or so, um, that was a time of healing. We came out of that, I think, uh, with a different perspective of, um, of that situation. And uh, I think then eventually made the best out of that situation and uh, not let it um, consume us with uh, bitterness. Um, and so there's a cleansing, I think, that happens in the backcountry. Um, and I think a lot of people head to the backcountry purposefully to try to overcome things that they've had in their lives that have bad relationships or major losses or um, I think so people and, and and they can find that healing in in the backcountry um, and uh, you know I think as we've made life decisions about at many of the points of our marriage where we had to make major decisions um, the best place to for that we do is is when we're in nature. Uh, whether it's going over onto walking on the beach at Lake Michigan, um, so it doesn't have to be necessarily backpacking, but um, there is a refreshment there that says um, all these things will pass because look at this is all still here, and it was here yesterday and it'll be here tomorrow, it'll be here a hundred years from now. Um, there's something eternal about that that's, that puts our problems into perspective, I think. And that uh, we don't have to become um, overcome by and defeated by those things when we are. We, we wanted, at one point we had wanted to adopt, uh, we had an opportunity to adopt uh, a family of five kids. And I was a social worker and I was in that whole field. And, um, and, and um, the agency that happened to be my agency in another branch um, I, we applied to, the, to adopt those children felt well, that's what we were being really led to do um, they after a long study and a lot of deliberation they said no said uh, that's this is not a good fit this is not a good match this is not and we were devastated we were just totally blown away uh, how could it possibly be and um, we spent many uh, <laughs> 
a long day hiking on the, the, some of the, the, the shores of Lake Michigan, processing that whole thing, um, trying to make sense out of that. And I don't think we were backpacking at that point, but, um, but it was nature. It was nature that kind of put it in perspective. Um, and there was a cleansing, I think, that happened there. And, uh, and we could come to some acceptance and resolution and then other avenues, you know, closed, one door gets closed, but another one opens. And sometimes, um, so rather than trying to bullhead and trying to force a, a round peg in a square hole or whatever, you know, and, and fight that decision and that sort of thing, I think that being in nature, I think, really enabled us just to kind of get something fresh and um, not get consumed by that and, and open another door and lots of things have happened since then. So, um, but that was another, it just kind of flashed into my mind when you said the major disappointments because we were just totally wiped out. We just couldn't believe it. Just couldn't believe it. You know? So, but it was a good decision. I mean, I think the agency gave me a good decision, and that we didn't see um, some things in ourselves that probably would not have made that a good situation. Um, but at the time, it sure didn't seem like it. So, so. that's a good example. Mm. Yeah, because just being in nature kind of gives you that chance to separate. I think from your problems. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. Just physically being in a different place where. It's not your home. It's not where you're like comfortable all the time. I think just being out there, right. it allows you to like get some physical distance, but also some kind of mental and emotional distance right. from the problems too. Yep. And then you get a better perspective on things. Yeah. And again, and again, from our kind of faith perspective, is that we can get out there and, and commune with God. Whether that's kind of that's a hokey kind of phrase, but um, but really feel His leading in a way that. Um, that is maybe truly his rather than what we want and and if we're you know so that we but for us anyway nature is, is a way that just speaks to us in that way yeah. mm -hmm. so would you say that god and nature are synonymous or is nature god's creation both um, um i don't think creation can be a substitute for god because he's he, he's made it all, in my mind. He, he's made it all. He's one in the same. They're so intermingled um, that, um, yeah, um, I have to think about that a little bit, I suppose. But um, I think people can appreciate nature without seeing God. I think people can um, uh, love nature without thinking that they're loving God as well. Um, but for me, um, they're all, it's all the same. It's, 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 God is nature and nature is God. I mean, it's like, it's hard to separate the two. Um, and, um, I believe he's made it. I think he's got a plan for nature. He's got a plan for my life. He, and it's a good plan. When he created everything, he said, it's good. Um, and so he's got that plan and, um, it's a plan for good. Um, and he wants us to be a part of that. Um, he invites us to be a part of it. Um, unfortunately, because we're sinful, man really mucks up his creation. Um, I can think of the time, you know, I'm a, you, know uh, you, think of, uh, you think of global warming, you think what we've done to the earth, our pollution, our, our lifestyles, our, you know, um, that's all evil, sinful stuff because it's, it's tearing down God's creation. Uh, and that's not his plan. 
Um, but for me, so I'm out in the back country and I come across a clear cut. Just infuriates me. Or a dirt bike comes tearing by me, just tearing up the trail. That's evil stuff. That's sin. That's, that's that blackness. That, and that's not God's plan for things. Um, and yet I go back and I realize well, I still drive my car. And I'm, so I'm really a part of that kind of global warming, the bigger picture. I don't like to think of it. I don't think I'm as bad as what that dirt bike guy was, <laughs> you know, but I'm still part of it. That's part of my sin. And so I've got to come to grips with that. Um, I've got to come to grips that I am, by doing what I do sometimes, is that that is tearing down God's creation, his good plan. But again, I believe because Christ comes into the world, uh, he's love, and he, um, he forgives my sins when I ask him to, and I repent, and, um, and he's going to um, restore his world. God's still in control of the world, and, and he can make me, if I, if I just fess up to it, understand, and then I can be part of his plan to, uh, to preserve creation and to, you know, lobby against the, the you know, the global warming and all that kind of thing. But, um, so, um, I don't even know where I was going with that, Alex, but, um, but, it, but it's, um, but I think that, yeah, I think it's, um, it's a very much a reality that I think all of us got to come to grip with is this darkness in the world because it's here, um, and we got to cope. We have to cope with it. We have to understand it. I mean, it's in, it's part of creation. I mean, it's like he's got a plan. He sold out of the world. Um, he's going to see it through, um, regardless of us. <laughs> and um, so, so that's that's the good news, I guess. You know, isn't it? So. Um, but in the meantime, it's it's hard to see some of the stuff that we see in there, and you know the, yeah, you know, being up on a mountaintop near uh, and 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 see the smog of L.A., <laughs> you know, um, seeing the jet planes go tearing over the overhead or the dirt bikes running by, you, um, it's um, and yet we got to come to grips with that too. So. Yeah, you bring up a good point that we're kind of all a part of this system that is a part of the problem. Like, it just is. living uh -huh. this lifestyle, we drive cars, we use electricity, we mm -hmm. use paper products or whatever from the forest. Um, yeah. And part of my goal with this project is to, I don't want to tell people that we have to go into the wilderness and just like abandon society because that's just unrealistic. That's exactly right. Yeah, well, that'll never happen. Mm -hmm. So. My idea is that if we can start to understand that like, we are nature and we are a part of nature, mm -hmm. it's not something that's outside and it's not something that we're above or in control of. Right. If we can start to believe that like nature and us are the same thing, right. maybe that'll start to lead towards the right action to kind of help protect it. Because mm -hmm. right now, it kind of seems like society acts as if we're above nature and somehow we've like escaped it like we don't need it anymore that's right <laughs> yep we, we're so separate from it now oh it is yeah and um yeah um we are part of it and um, yeah um, and where do we fit <laughs> where's the proper fit where's the proper fit for me in nature and in the world and and i i, I agree I don't, I don't think we can become hermits and just kind of withdraw from it i think we get into nature and we come it's an example Every point in Jesus' 
when he was on the earth, every, he, he sought out wilderness places at key times when he had to sort things out about what he was going to do next. Next phase of his ministry, he retreated to the wilderness. So I think it's the same with us. We retreat to the wilderness to understand ourselves and to get in touch with what we're being led to go, but we need to go back into the world. And the wilderness can prepare us to go back in the world, not to escape the world. And I think some people use the wilderness in that way. They want as an escape. And if that's all the farther it goes, then they're not not going to be any farther ahead. Um, so I, I think I think you're exactly right. I think we have to get there. We have to understand it. But we are we still return to the world to be disciples, to be to be the. the part of the problem solution rather than part of the, continuing to be part of the problem, you know. Um. Yeah, we were talking about it, that, that exact same thing last night, that um, like a lot of people escape their problems by using drugs or by um, doing something that's kind of helps them escape for a short period of time, but it doesn't mm -hmm. last, yep. and then it ends mm -hmm. up just hurting them in the long run, and people kind of use nature in that way too. It's just a way to escape from real life, and they don't have to deal with real life for a little bit. Right. Um, so we were kind of talking about how nature is not an escape, it's just a place to go where you can get a different perspective on things, and kind of see the bigger picture. Sure, sure. It's just like distance hiking, uh, it becomes almost addictive. Yeah. And sometimes when it becomes addictive, then you start losing track of um, what the real purpose of being out here is. And so then if you're, you're going to put on all these miles, you're going to hike all these distance trails, and suddenly you start uh, not paying attention to relationships, or you, you're sacrificing things, much like any other addiction. You know? um, and so we always have to guard against that, because sometimes you know, nature can be that kind of attractive thing that we get addicted to in a way that can be unhealthy as well. You know? so at the end of this trip, the last person I'm talking to um, is a quadruple, triple crowner. <laughs> oh, wow. He's done the triple crown four times. Oh, really? And he basically just does his stuff 24-7. So I think I'm going to talk to him about that a little bit. Is I want to find out if he has a life outside of hiking, well, basically. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and yeah. I just want to see what he thinks about that. <laughs> yeah. Who is that, by the way? Um, one gallon is his trail name. Oh, okay. Bill Bill Nutterman. Okay. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Okay. Have you heard of him? I've heard that name. Okay. You know, one gallon. I've heard that. Yeah. He, Sometimes right now, you hear the trail names, you know. Yeah. <laughs> He's riding his bike from Houston, Texas, to Yuma, Arizona, right now. Arizona, I'm right? going to try and catch him in the middle somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And see, and again, that's where your relationships come in, because again, so, you know, I'm I'm just thankful that I didn't get hooked on hiking before while Kathy and I, because Kathy and I, because you can also, if I would have got so addicted with that, I could have said, I don't, I don't want to have her hiking with me. Um, and I would have lost so much by that. There's a place and time, and um, um, maybe we became, well, maybe we became addicted together. Maybe we are codependent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully, in, hopefully in a good way, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to kind of figure out that balance on this hike because I'll be hiking it with my girlfriend and we've been dating for about a year mm -hmm. and things are getting pretty serious. Mm -hmm. um, but I've always lived a life where I 
have hiking kind of as a separate thing and then like friends and relationships is kind of a, a different right. thing and now those are about to merge right yeah so. and that yeah and and you yeah um we just we just have found that throughout our marriage inner we need to be interdependent if our marriage is going to work it has to be interdependent have to be dependent on each other can't have a strong such a strong identity here and here and go your own ways and still think you're going to have a relationship. Um, somehow there's got to be some um, give and take and compromise, and that's not a negative thing, but interdependent rather than totally dependent. And you have a separate identity is true, um, but it gets blended uh, and you become one identity. Um, still have your, still your, your, your own gifts and strengths and talents and all that sort of thing, but in, in back country, it's a good place for them to come together. And then maybe the rest of the year, then it just needs a little stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That'll be very interesting. You probably be able to do a whole documentary on that, but you probably might want. <laughs> I know. I, as this project keeps growing, I'm wondering how I'm going to fit all this into a movie. I have no idea. <laughs> right, yeah, and you have a very ambitious project because you have so many different perspectives. So um, yeah. It might end, might end up turning into a series. <laughs> Well, it is. It's a life. It's, it's a life. It, it is. It's. It's. It, and that's the whole point. There's not an end to it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a springboard to what next. You know, mm -hmm. paths don't end. <laughs> it really is a continuation of my PNT movie and my PNT hike because that's kind of where this all this yeah. mm -hmm. these ideas and projects sort of started for me. Sure. And sure. They keep building on each other. Yeah. What role do you think that nature plays in our society? Like, what do people think it's good for? Um, raw materials. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a, so much of our society's depend, especially U.S. society, has to do with um, what can nature do for us. Uh, what can it do, and what can nature do? Um, yeah, for raw materials, but also um, what can nature do for us commercially, recreationally? We save this so that we can bring people in, and you know. Um, so sometimes it's it's what nature can do to us, for us rather than what we do for na nature. Yeah, it's, yeah. Sounds like John Kennedy, right? <laughs> That's not what you know. Um, but I think sometimes we just say, "What's the benefit? What's well, the scenic beauty? We'll preserve this place because it has scenic beauty, and it'll bring it'll help the economy of all the of all the communities around it." And um, and that's all important stuff too. But I, some I think as a society. I think that tends to be, and we, and as we become a virtual society, we don't have to go to those places anymore. We can just kind of experience it virtually, and, and we don't have to. We can so we can focus the camera right here on this, and we can overlook the fact that uh, someone has just trashed that campsite right over there. We can just kind of, and so I think our virtual. There's a new whole challenge. I think that is that. I don't really have to be concerned about all being in nature because I can just experience it virtually and we can kind of airbrush that, that part out if we don't want to see it. So I think there's, and that's not the way nature works. Um, you can't have just an island of a, of a, of a sanctuary here uh, with, every, with cars running all around it because that's not what nature's, that's not what God created nature to be. Um, um, and so I, so I think there's a bit we compartmentalize and we're good at doing that. Well, when I do my two-week vacation, then I want to be in a pristine place. But the rest of the whole, other than 300 and some odd days, it doesn't matter. Um, and I think our society, it's a danger of, um, and it, you know, because what happens is that I'm just afraid that it's, it'll be too late. Um, and then what you've lost, you'll never.
So I think there's a there's kind of a magical thinking about this, what nature is really about, of how is somehow there's simple answers to this, and it's a very complex uh, thing. So there's a lot of denial, denial I think about what the value of nature is, and um, again, part of that is because people aren't out in it, I guess. Um, so I guess I'm, you know, I'm advocating not everybody get out, you know, so, in some way. But um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answers to that because, you know, how do you preserve nature? Can nature and you know, economic development coexist? Um, I would hope so. But um, yeah. Yeah, you're right that it's very compartmentalized, and mm -hmm. I, I really felt that on the Haydu because it goes in and out of so many national parks, national monuments, uh -huh. but then it's also in a lot of BLM land that's just totally forgotten. Right. And, I mean, basically the only reason it's there is for cattle ranchers to use it. Mm -hmm. And there's nobody out there, and it's just like cow pies everywhere, the land is kind of trashed, all mm -hmm. the water sources are soiled. Yep. But then you'll cross some invisible border, and then it's pristine again. Yep, <laughs> yep, mm -hmm. yep. And I'm like, yeah. When you're walking through it, you realize how ridiculous that idea is. And this like mm -hmm. this invisible line that somebody drew on a map. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, this land is like more valuable now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. That's uh, a that's a that's a hard one. I don't I don't know the answers to that. I just I don't know. So yeah, I'm not sure either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What has nature shown you about yourself? Your what is what have your adventures shown you? Um, I guess it's, it showed me how blessed I am to be able to have those experiences. Um, uh, nature is, um, uh, yeah, I, what's it told me about myself? Um, it's helped me understand that I'm a part of it. Um, I can't separate myself from it. Um, it's, um, or I can, but I, I you know, it's, so I, I don't know. Um, or the follow-up question is, um, what life lessons have you learned from being in nature? Um, the values of simplicity. Um, the values of, of reverence. Um, the values of humility, because nature and especially distance backpacking uh, makes you humble. Um, it puts me in my place. It realizes I'm not in control. Somebody else is in control. Um, those are real important lessons, I think, for me personally. Um, like, um, uh, I've, you know, I've had some, you know, a couple of, of, of um, experiences in the backcountry where I had, I thought I was, um, I thought I was gone, <laughs> going to be gone. And, um, and I experienced a miracle. Um, I wrote to you about one of those experiences, but, um, you know, um, and I, I, well, I guess I also understand how much, how important other people are too. Um, that, um, I guess you really value how important relationships are sometimes when you're out there and you don't have them. Yeah, I think when you're outside your comfort zone, when you're um, you're pushing the envelope, 
um, when you um, you take risks is when you when you uh, those are the times where you grow mm -hmm. and that's where you become um, and that's where I grow spiritually that's where I grow emotionally that's where I grow um, my self-esteem uh, yeah so why is it a good place or why is it a good thing to be humbled and to be kind of put in your place and realize that you're not in control that sounds uncomfortable and, and bad <laughs> because we're not in control <laughs> um, because we're not in because uh, we're not God we're not um, um, we like to think we are we think like we can control everything um, the reality is um, we are part of his creation um, he has a plan for us but sometimes it's not our plan um, so sometimes it's important to be reminded of that um, Sometimes he does that by slapping us across the head and saying, you idiot, what did you do that for? Um, other times it's more subtle. And sometimes it's just a matter of looking around and seeing and saying, wow, you know, I'm, you know, I'm so much, I, I'm, you know, and, and then it allows me then to, um, um, I guess, to be humble and to look f to other people for answers and help, um, not bulldoze myself through a situation. Um, it you know prevents me from being arrogant and um, you know um, self-centered and egotistical. Although I'm probably all of those things, all of us are, at some point. But um, I think it helps us to be more genuine, be more real, more transparent. Uh, when we don't have to put up the masks, put on the masks, and have to live the facade, um, we can say, when you make a mistake in the backcountry, you don't have anybody else to blame but you usually um, and uh, when you come up on a, a solution or when you make the right choices then to get out of that um, you you understand that you're you're um, it just builds you up and gives you more confidence for the next time <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a good environment for that um, you don't have anyone else to blame whether it's good or bad uh-huh yeah, yeah definitely gave me more confidence because I knew when things went wrong I knew they were my fault and when things went right I knew they were my fault uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> or I just got lucky uh, and I was able to recognize that too <laughs> or you basically said okay I am helpless um, and again that's where my faith comes in is that then lead me Mark and he leads me um, sometimes you have to submit yourself um, to um, to some other power uh, when your power is well you know it's not there or it's failing um, and when you and it is so it's how do I walk with him um, you know it's uh, there's a verse I use some we've used several times on Kathy and I especially have used is it says something like um, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths so we get out there, we learn humility, we learn what he, learn his lessons so that we can walk in his paths. Sometimes we otherwise we walk in our paths and sometimes that can be dis dis disastrous. Um, and so I think that the lessons of the backcountry of nature of, um, is that to remind us that there is a way um, and he leads us if we allow it um, and just recognize that leading. You know, um, do you think our soul needs nature? 
If we want to be in contact with the spiritual realm, do we need to be in nature? It helps, I think. For me, it does. It's, it's primary. Does everybody need it? Um, I don't think so. I don't, I, like I say, I, I'm not arrogant enough to think that a person who's grown up in the city all their life and has, um, but is rich in the arts or in uh, music or intellectual pursuits that his life is meaningless. Uh, a person can have um, a, tr a very rich spiritual life um, uh, as a servant, you know, um, uh, and never have stepped foot in nature. Um, you know, um, I think we're here to help our fellow human beings. And so we're to be servants to those people, to love them as we've been loved. Um, and yeah, we can learn those lessons in the backcountry, but I don't think that's the only place we learn them. Um, for me, that's where I, that, that's the most dramatic classroom I've had is, is nature. Um, but that's not everybody. Um, and like I said, I encourage people to, to get a taste of it, experience it, um, be out there. But, um, but I'm not, like I say, I'm not uh, arrogant enough to think that that's the only classroom. <laughs> Nature's not the only teacher, you know. Um, God can speak through all lots of different ways. Um, and, um, yeah, he doesn't. But nature is something that is special, you know. I, I do believe that. And, uh, yeah. uh, so then we'll kind of move on to... Christianity more specifically, um, what do you think the current state of Christianity is in America right now? Um, searching. Like I said earlier, I think that all of us are, have that basic desire and need. Um, um, I think that um, I think the traditional church is a point, a crossroads, and a point of crisis. I think that um, I think that uh, it's got. I think the church, in many ways, Christianity, uh, has gotten so wrapped up in um, the ways of the world, it's in a way um, that somehow it doesn't seem to be the answer for people. Um, People seek a lot, like seek a lot of other ways to fulfillment and to come to God or come to some relationship or what our what our what is our relationship with our Creator. That the traditional ways may be changing, um, maybe it's because of technology or science or whatever it is. But um, the state of Christianity um, is um, we've lost touch, I think, with the things that are most important. And sometimes we, Christianity has gotten um, um, duped by false gods like money, power, riches, um, success, uh, athletics, um, achievement, um, uh, of, of being in control. And we've lost sight of that, of what love is about. And Christianity is about love. And it's God's love. He so loved the world, he gave his own son. Whoever believed in me would, would not perish, but have eternal life. Um, we've lost our, we have, um, and it's not just a problem now, it's been ever since Adam, is we want to be in control. We want to be God. We want to be, but we don't know how to love. We, and we've lost how, what that love. And sometimes we th the, the church sometimes has lost its ability to be 
simple, humble, and to be a servant. Uh, to be serve other people, uh, not judge other people, but to be servants of people like Christ was for us, that um, we are to be sacrificial in love, um, to care for the people who don't have what we've had, uh, to care for the people who have been duped by power, to love those who politically that we can't stand. Um, they need to be loved as well. Uh, but I think there's this idea we've lost, this touch that, it, that Christianity is about love and being a servant. Uh, not being the master, being the servant. Um, and um, I think that's where, I think, yeah, I, I think Christianity will find its way, um, but it won't find its way in the ways of the world um, through money and the, the huge cathedrals and, uh, and uh, being at the head of the political system and uh, all that sort of thing. It'll find its way by serving at a homeless shelter or t paying attention to the person who's downtrodden or the person who's, um, who's weak and doesn't have, hasn't had any of the advantages. I think that's where Christianity is about love and we continually need to be, uh, and we never find it all at once and we never achieve it. It's always, it's a path, right? It's, it's a path. Jesus walked that path. We're walking in his footsteps. We're using him as the example. He was a great backpacker. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the guy named uh, Ray Jardine. Uh, he was the he was the guru of uh, of, of lightweight backpacking, and he, he he wrote the book on the Pacific Crest Trail and about lightweight backpacking. The very end of his book, the last three pages, it was an epilogue saying that Jesus was the greatest backpacker there was, because. He always is in the wilderness. He walked everywhere he went. He took time to spend with his, the people who were needy, that he saw along the path. He didn't just go to his goal. He would help those people. He loved people. He sat around campfires talking about his father. And he talked about, you know, he was the ultimate backpacker. And, uh, and, and Ray Jardine, just, I was shocked when I read that last few pages of the book because I never known that and I thought he was a wow but he talked about love you know and um, and that's the simplicity of backpacking the simplicity of being in the wilderness experiencing love you know um, that's that's the bottom line and that's my hope and that's and that's the hope I think that as a Christian we have even when we fail even when we're overcome by our own devices um, there's there's a way that he wants us to go, and I think that's I think I think when the church and when the Christianity gets back to the simplicity, and the uh, sacrificial love, and um, and lives that out, I just think that's uh, that's what he wants us to do, um, for me anyway. But uh, and I think that's um, no strings attached. You know, love you just because I you know because you're a fellow creature of God. You know. And um, and you'd help me, and I should help you. Probably a good segue into your mission work then. Oh. Do, you, do you want to just explain what oh. you guys do? Oh yeah, we've had uh, um, yeah, Kathy and I have uh, you know have led mission teams to Mexico, uh, Matamoros, across the uh, border from Brownsville, Texas. Um, Twenty years, um, 
this, uh, we've led teams from West Michigan down to build houses for people that live in a squatters camp area that's surrounded, originally it surrounded a big huge garbage dump and people there would forage off the garbage dump to survive. Um, and, um, and we were attracted by a person from a Mexican-American who wanted, his dream was to start building houses for these people. And so we got connected with him and ever since we've been, uh, we've spent about five weeks a year in Matamoros building houses for these people that, that uh, the, the dumps closed down now, so it's not, they're not around it, but it's basically a, a shanty towns and squatters camps. And um, we go down and we build simple, you know, 12 by 20, 12 by 24 size houses with a steel roof and a, a, a cement slab that gets people off the, off the dirt and, uh, and puts us, builds houses so for them, with them, not for them, with them, because most of the time they work with us. And, um, and we just, but more important, they, they minister to us because they, we learn what their lives are about and what kind of deep faith many of them have and how they can be happy with so little and we get unhappy with how much we have. Um, and so we do that. Um, and um, the neat thing has because being able to have other people from West Michigan, the church, some of the churches up here, come down and get a cross-cultural experience, an experience they never had before. And, um, and they grow from that, you know, we all grow from that. We benefit probably as much as what we give. Um, and so that's much of our, what our, and um, we've been able to do that uh, usually Jan right about this time of year, January. Now with the pandemic, we can't get across the border. And so this is the first year we've not been able to go down. But interesting, another door gets closed, another one gets opened. We um, decided that we would build, we provide the money and the materials to build six houses down there. And uh, several of the Mexican men who have worked with us in the past, who have learned some of those skills, they built all the houses this year. And, um, and what a blessing for them. And uh, the ministry continues, even though we think we're in control of it, but we're not. <laughs> God finds a way to make it go on. So Mexico's one has been important. I was a social worker for years with child, child abuse and neglect and adolescence and acting out teens and that kind of thing. Um, so had the chance to do that. We also go down to Zuni, New Mexico on the reservation. There's a mission school we volunteer at every year in the spring. And um, I write grants and help with some of the administrative things Kathy has done their, or their library. And, but it gets us put, it's more importantly, it puts us in contact with people who are different than us and gives us a chance just to share love, uh, their love for us and our love for them. Um, and God's love for all of us. Um, so that does lead into our mission work. And I, I think that's been a very important part of our, you know, of what faith is all about, spiritual, our, our spiritual walk is all about, is somehow finding ways that we step out of our comfort zones and we find ways to help people in ways that are meaningful to them. And um, yeah, so we've been very fortunate. So yeah, thanks, thanks for asking that. That's, that's a very good point that um, just being in contact with people that are different than you and getting outside of your comfort zone, how valuable that is, because I think that might be one of our major problems today, and it's kind of a side effect of technology and mm -hmm. just kind of the way that our society lives, is that it's so easy to stay in your comfort zone all the time.
and to only talk to the people that you agree with and only talk to people that think the same way you do. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably a, a big factor of the huge division that mm -hmm. you see among yeah. Americans especially. We had a, one of the things, one of my wife's favorite stories is we, uh, when we go down, we, uh, we dedicate a house, uh, we build a house, then we dedicate it, we talk through an interpreter, uh, you know, a guy that was there, um, and share uh, why we're here and why we're doing this sort of thing, and that we try to spread God's love. And one of the, usually some of the Mexican people, the homeowners, then also witness back to us in a way. And one of the stories is that one time a little lady just said, I pray for you every day. You Americans, I pray for you. How hard it must be for you to believe because you have so much. We have so little, so we have to depend on God. You have so much, so how, so it must be so hard for you to believe. And we're going, wow, that, is that the truth? <laughs> um, it's, it's, those are the kinds of things that are, yeah, we, gotta, we need to be reminded of that. But, um, yeah, we think we have all the answers, but, but you know, we get blinded to it, so, yeah. Yeah, what a strange idea to try and communicate that to most Americans. Uh, yeah, good <laughs> like, for us. People yeah. feel bad for us because we have so much. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's it, it's, but it's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It There's so much truth in that. So, anyway, so good. Well, good. Um, I think that's good. You're running out of light too. That's so. about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the timing works out. <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to say? Oh, I, yeah, I could talk a lot, I a lot. You know, I could tell stories and things like that, and um, yeah, um, but that's, maybe we'll have a chance to do it again. Maybe we'll be on Zuni. Um, yeah, we're not, be great if, we can, if, if I could link up with you down there some way, that would be real special. If you enjoyed this podcast and you like the nature content that we're putting out, please subscribe to our YouTube channel called Wilderness Mindset.